friends. Hey everybody. Welcome back to Access. This is Timothy and I'm really glad that we get to study the scriptures together today. Take a moment to relive some childhood moments with me. Remember what it was like when a parent, a teacher, or some sort of authority figure would warn you to stop doing something right away and you knew full well that you weren't supposed to be doing it. And often you were warned or threatened that if you didn't stop, then you would have to suffer the consequences. Now, I admit, when dealing with my own kids, I, I give a lot of warnings, but I like to think of it more as, you know, firm guidance. <laughs> and usually it's only when they're doing something that, that's not safe. Okay, sometimes when they're simply just dilly-dallying as well. And I like to use the firm count. I used to use this forceful voice and count one, two, three, and nothing would happen. And they'd just be like laughing and carrying on without any acknowledgement of my authority. It even got to the point where I would count one, two, three, and then I'd hear a mocking response, four, five, six. <laughs> Finally, I caught on. To the kids, I could have counted from one to infinity and beyond, and it wouldn't have mattered. Until I finally learned the trick. Count down. So now I start from three, two, and if I make it to one, they know they would be facing some sort of consequence. Now the goal isn't to instill fear, but to help them develop a sense of personal responsibility. I want to help them realize that their actions and even their inaction have consequences. They could be good, favorable consequences or undesirable Armageddon-type consequences. Now let's get honest with ourselves. Isn't it just easy to dilly-dally and enjoy life at our own leisurely pace? I mean, life is not an emergency, right? But when we stop to consider that the only thing we have control of is what we're going to do right now, this very moment, that the past is gone and tomorrow it's not guaranteed. So shouldn't we be living with more mindfulness and awareness and some sense of urgency? Our study today is called Warning and Rescue. If you need a handout for today's Access Learn study, please visit our Facebook group, Connections Ministries of Canada, and you'll find all of our studies under the Files tab. Also visit our website at connectionsministries.com. As we continue our study through Genesis, I do recommend having a Bible handy so you could follow along. I'd also encourage you to take some time with your own Access Church communities or your small groups and review the study together. Now let's get started. Warning and Rescue. Today my wife Beverly will be reading from Genesis chapter 18 verse 16 and through to the end of chapter 19 from the Complete Jewish Bible. The men set out from there and looked over towards Sodom, and Avraham went with them to see them on their way. Adonai said, Should I hide from Avraham what I am about to do, inasmuch as Avraham is sure to become a great and strong nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him? For I have made myself known to him, so that he will give orders to his children and to his household after him, to keep the way of Adonai, and to do what is right and just, so that Adonai may bring about for Avraham what he has promised him. Adonai said, The outcry against Sodom and Amor is so great, and their sins so serious, that I will now go down and see whether their deeds warrant the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Avraham remained standing before Adonai. Avraham approached and said, Will you actually sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Maybe there are fifty righteous people in the city. Will you actually sweep the place away and not forgive it for the sake of the fifty righteous who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous along with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shouldn't the judge of all the earth do what is just? Adonai said, If I find in Sodom fifty who are righteous, then I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Avraham answered, Here now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to Adonai. What if there are five less than fifty righteous, he said. I won't destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again. What if forty are found there? He said, For the sake of the forty, I won't do it. He said, I hope Adonai won't be angry if I speak. What if thirty are found there? He said, I won't do it if I find thirty there. He said, Here now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to Adonai. What if twenty are found there? He said, For the sake of the twenty, I won't destroy it. He said, I hope Adonai won't be angry if I speak just once more. What if ten are found there? He said, For the sake of the ten, I won't destroy it. Adonai went on his way as soon as he had finished speaking to Avraham, and Avraham returned to his place. Chapter 19 The two angels came to Sodom that evening, when Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them, got up to greet them, and prostrated himself on the ground. He said, Here now, my lords, please come over to your servant's house, spend the night, wash your feet, get up early, and go on your way. No, they answered, we'll stay in the square. But he kept pressing them, so they went home with him, and he made them a meal, baking matzah, for their supper, which they ate. But before they could go to bed, the men of the city surrounded the house, young and old, everyone from every neighborhood of Sodom. They called Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to stay with you tonight? Bring them out to us. We want to have sex with them. Lot went out to them and stood in the doorway, closing the door behind him, and said, Please, my brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. Look here, I have two daughters who are virgins. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them what seems good to you. But don't do anything to these men, since they are guests in my house. Stand back, they replied. This guy came to live here, and now he's decided to play judge. For that will deal worse with you than with them. Then they crowded in on Lot, in order to get close enough to break down the door. But the men inside reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house to them, and shut the door. Then they struck the men at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they couldn't find the doorway. The men said to Lot, Do you have any people here besides yourself? Whomever you have in the city, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, bring them out of this place, because we are going to destroy it. Adonai has become aware of the great outcry against them, and Adonai has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke with his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up and leave this place, because Adonai is going to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law didn't take him seriously. When morning came, the angels told Lot to hurry. Get up, they said, and take your wife and your two daughters who are here, otherwise you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he dallied, so the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Adonai was being merciful to him, and led them, leaving them outside the city. When they had brought them out, he said, Flee for your life, don't look behind you, and don't stop anywhere in the plain, but escape to the hills, otherwise you will be swept away. Lot said to them, Please, no, my lord, here your servant has already found favor in your sight, and you have shown me even greater mercy by saving my life. But I can't escape to the hills, because I'm afraid the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. 
Look, there is a town nearby to flee to, and it's a small one. Please, let me escape there. Isn't it just a small one? And that way I will stay alive. He replied, All right, I agree to what you have asked. I won't overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry and escape to that place, because I can't do anything until you arrive there. For this reason, the city was named Zoar. By the time Lot had come to Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then Adonai caused sulfur and fire to rain down upon Sodom and Amorah from Adonai out of the sky. He overthrew those cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and everything growing in the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a column of salt. Avraham got up early in the morning, went to the place where he had stood before Adonai, and looked out towards Sodom and Amorah, scanning the entire plain. There before him, the smoke was rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. But when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Avraham and sent Lot out, away from the destruction, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Lot went up from Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, because he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there isn't a man on earth to come into us in the manner customary in the world. Come, let's have our father drink wine, then we'll sleep with him, and that way we'll enable our father to have descendants. So they plied their father with wine that night, and the older one went in and slept with her father. He didn't know when she lay down or when she got up. The following day, the older said to the younger, Here, I slept last night with my father. Let's make him drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him, and that way we'll enable our father to have descendants. They plied their father with wine that night also, and the younger one got up and slept with him, and he didn't know when she lay down or when she got up. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The older one gave birth to a son and called him Moab. He is the ancestor of Moab to this day. The younger also gave birth to a son, and she called him Ben-Ami. He is the ancestor of the people of Ammon to this day. So our study today picks up after Yehovah God had appeared to Avraham and Sarah to let them know that they'd be expecting a child in about a year's time. And remember, Sarah laughed. So starting in chapter 18, verse 16, notice that Yehovah allows Avraham to know the judgment of Sodom in advance, what he's about to do. And Avraham had this special role in the plan of God. Notice he was elected because of his faithfulness, his obedience, and his consistency. God deemed him righteous in his eyes. The important thing to note here is that God does not keep his plans for mankind a secret. In verse 20, God talks about the outcry against Sodom and Morah. And we see that he plans to assess the situation as though he doesn't already know. But this is the language that he's using to communicate to Abraham to show that he is a fair God and he, he won't just act hastily, but do their deeds warrant this outcry? The iniquity of these two cities had reached the point of no return in the eyes of Jehovah. And Avraham gets this glimpse of how justly God assessed the time for judgment. And Avraham was well aware of his nephew Lot living in Sodom, and he is concerned for his safety and his well-being. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 14, Lot had been taken captive by King Kedorlamer after the kings of Sodom had fled, and Abraham 
had come to his rescue with his 318 men. So we see the relationship that Abraham has and the compassion that he has for his nephew Lot. But where do we find Lot at this point in the story? Right there, back in this wicked city of Sodom. It's interesting to note that up to this point, the concept of repentance has not yet been developed in the book of Genesis. It'll only be some time before we actually see that come about. The only factor in God's justice system this far is whether or not a person is righteous in God's eyes. So the wicked remain wicked and the righteous remain righteous. Noah actually never pleaded with the wicked to repent. He did tell them and warn them of a flood that was coming, but there was no call to repentance and neither with Abraham. So in Abraham's pleadings to Jehovah, he wasn't concerned about whether the people who were doing wrong might repent and turn from their evil. He was more concerned with those people that were not doing wrong. Would they be swept away with those that were doing wrong? In verse 23, we see Abraham asking God, Will you actually sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, Abraham was already very aware of God's mercy toward the righteous and the distinction that he makes between the good and the bad. So from moving in his request of 50 righteous people down to 10, Abraham probably grew very aware of this intense wickedness of the cities, as well as Lot's ineffective witness there. The final number they agreed on was 10 people, 10 righteous people, not one. So if there were at least 10 righteous people still living in Sodom, that God would not pour out his wrath. In the Hebrew culture, there's something called a minyan, and a minyan is a quorum of 10 men over the age of 13 that are required for traditional Jewish public worship. So provided that there was a minyan in the midst of the wicked population, Yehovah God would hold back his judgment. There are some questions that I hear often asked, like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do the wicked prosper? Why does God allow bad things to happen, like these massive earthquakes and floods? You know, the ones that newscasters call an act of God? (laughs) I want to point out the difference between God pouring out his supernatural wrath and his permitting bad things to happen by which all are affected. For instance, a big typhoon hits the Philippines and many are lost. The good will be killed along with the wicked in any cataclysmic event that happens when both are present. But when God pours out his divine wrath, like the great flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God sends unexpected unnatural catastrophe, He gives ample warning. It's not sudden and unannounced. And we see a pattern emerging here, that when calamity is the product of God's divine wrath, the good are divided away from the wicked. And we'll see the same pattern in Revelation. Those who are in Christ will be protected, while the wicked are singled out for destruction. The followers of Yeshua will not necessarily be protected from the evil of man or natural disasters, but we will be protected from God's wrath. Amen? At the beginning of chapter 19 here, we see Lot welcoming the two angels. The Hebrew term used here for angels is malach. Typically, malach simply means messenger, and they're usually human. And although this is a term that's used here, We can deduce from the context of the entire chapter that they were indeed heavenly messengers or angels, spirit beings. So 
Angels have the ability to take on physical form, which happens often throughout the scriptures when they interact with men, so that they don't get so frightened, and that the message that they're carrying can come across. Let's take a closer observation of Lot here. When he's greeting the two Malach, we're told that he's sitting at the gates of Sodom. This is reminiscent of Avraham sitting at the opening of his tent. As Avraham sat there and waited for guests to serve, we see Lot doing the same thing. But the difference is that Avraham lives alone, while Lot lives in this very inhospitable city. And there's something about the gates of a city that refers to a place of judgment or the locale of judges. And we find Lot sitting here in this place of the judges because this is kind of his political aspiration to hold some sort of position where he can actually sit as a judge over Sodom. Remember, Lot's father had died a long time ago, and he'd kind of been living in the shadow of his illustrious uncle, Abraham. So he welcomes these two malak into his somewhat empty courtroom, so to speak. And he has the opportunity to behave more like Avraham. Here's his chance to extend hospitality and kindness. There's only one problem. That the people of Sodom, they would not tolerate this type of behavior. And Lot knows it. And time is of the essence. And we hear it in his words when he welcomes his guests and he discusses their departure before they even agree to stay. (laughs) He prostrates himself on the ground before them and he says, My lords, please come over to your servant's house. Spend the night, wash your feet, get up early and go on your way. You know, get out of here. And we see this sort of cordial Middle Eastern dance between a host offering and and the guest's response to the initial invitation. It's like, oh, come. Oh, no, I can't accept that. You know, and then it follows up with the host insisting that they accept his hospitality. And this is still a very common practice. (laughs) This kind of reminds me of uh, childhood memories where our family friends, we'd all go out together and have a meal together. And the parents would, in typical Filipino fashion, you know, ask one person would ask for the bill. And then the other person, when the bill comes, swipes it away from the waiter and insists that they'll take the bill. And then the other guy goes, no, no, I can't do, I can't let you do that. Let me take care of it this time. And it goes back and forth and it seems like forever. Um, But it's just a funny thing that happens um, because people want to be cordial and they want to be polite about things. That's kind of what's happening here. How sincere was Lot really with his offering? Uh, You come over to my house. No, 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 no. And then more of a slap in the face is that he prepares, we're told that he prepares supper for them and he bakes matzah unleavened bread. Now, this is like the fastest sort of meal and bread that you could prepare. He really wanted to get rid of them right away. He wouldn't even allow enough time for the yeast to rise. But the reason Lot wanted to have them over at his place was because he didn't want these visitors staying in the city square, for he was too familiar already with the extreme wickedness of the city he was living in. Yet, he still chose to live there. In verse 4, we see this lustful mob of men surrounding Lot's house, demanding to have homosexual relations with the two visitors. And Lot's response betrayed tension in his own ethics. You see, his offer to gratify their sexual lusts contradicted his plea not to act wickedly. He offered up his two virgin daughters 
as a less deviant kind of wickedness in order to uphold the constraints of Eastern hospitality to protect his guests. But these men lusted after other men to the point that even though Lot offered his virgin daughters, they declined. And the mob of men tell Lot to stand back and they end up mocking him because he moved into their territory and tries to act like he's really some kind of a judge. And nothing could stand in the way of these men whose homosexual deviation carried an uncontrollable lust that defies restraint. That even when the angel men blinded them, they still tried to fulfill their lusts. And it turns out that these two angel men that Lot thought he was protecting were actually protecting him. And they did so supernaturally by blinding these, this mob of men that had tried to beat down the door. And then they insist that Lot and his family leave quickly before the divine destruction begins. This was his warning. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, somebody was calling me from the UK. Anyway, okay, get out and flee before the divine destruction begins. This was their warning. The passage mentions that Lot went to go collect his sons-in-law. Now, who were these sons-in-law? I thought his daughters were virgins. Um, there's an understanding that these sons-in-law may have actually been uh, the fiancés or the men promised to become the husbands of of his two daughters. Or they may very well have been his sons-in-law um, that had married other daughters that he had had. But we do know that these were pagan sons-in-law from Sodom, and they thought that Lot was just joking when he came to collect them. And apparently they were destroyed along with all the rest of wicked Sodom. This little bit of information reminds me of when Noah was warning people of the flood that was coming, and uh, a lot of people just made fun of him and mocked him and didn't believe what he had to say. In verse 15, when morning came, we're told that the angels go and wake up Lot and tell him to get out. Take your wife, take your daughters, and get out of here or you're going to be swept away. They're giving him another warning. They're giving him ample time to get out. And what do we see Lot do next? Well, the text says that he dallied. The word used here in Hebrew is maha. And maha means to linger, to dally, to hesitate, or to delay. Think about that. Would you want to linger or hesitate when you know that imminent destruction is on its way? About 15 years ago, our family had a house fire. Fortunately, many of us were not home, um, but my grandparents and my brother's family were, were in the house. My brother came home to watch a game on TV and... When he entered the house, he heard my grandfather yelling, fire, fire. All of a sudden, he sprang into action. He had his wife collect their two kids while he ran and collected our grandparents. And hurriedly, they got out of the house and got to safety across the street while the house was burning down. Of course, the threat in that situation was already active. It was already present. So naturally, there would be a lot more urgency that you're moving with. However, these angels were pushing Lot and his family. They had to grab them by the hand and lead them out of the city, right outside the city line. And they tell them, keep going. Don't stop. Run across the plain. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Don't look back. Don't hesitate. Escape to the hills. Otherwise, you'll be swept away. When I read Lot's response, this is like a big facepalm moment for me because 
Here we see Lot pleading with the angels in his typical comfort-loving and lazy Lot fashion. And, and from a place of immobilizing fear or, or actually maybe just plain laziness, he begs them to allow him to escape to a small town just nearby so he would survive. It's like, please, man, I can't make it all the way to the hills. Could you just, like, spare that little town? <laughs> I'm never going to make it. Well, they end up accepting his plea, and they spare the small little town called Zor, which means small. And as soon as Lot steps foot into Zor, we're told that immediately, Adonai caused fire and brimstone to fall from the sky from Adonai. Now, interesting note, this brimstone, this burning sulfur, it was used commonly to destroy garbage dumps just outside the ancient city walls. And once it's lit, this sulfur, it burns with this intense heat and emits a very strong and distinct odor that could mask all the foulest of the other common odors. And the fire purges pests and diseases. And in the Bible, it's fire that's symbolic of purging evil and refining precious metals as well. So essentially, God destroyed what he saw as a human garbage dump of perverted humanity using a method that would be understood by all who witnessed it. This fire and brimstone, it didn't destroy only the people that were living there. It didn't destroy just their city and all their monuments that they put up. No, it completely destroyed everything that was there. Even the ground, it was laid barren and laid waste. Like, it could no longer produce vegetation. In fact, if you go down to the region today, you could still see a mass of sulfur just laying around and if you take a chunk of that brimstone and light it on fire there's a that invisible blue flame and this intense heat that it's still active when you light it and that smell it's still there and nothing is growing in that region you won't see a blade of grass this sort of judgment over Saddam and Amora was a permanent judgment on that place in verse 26, we read that his wife looked back from behind him and she became a column of salt. The Hebrew term used here for looked back is once again, maha, the same term that was used to describe Lot's dilly-dallying. She didn't heed the warnings and she lagged behind, so she suffered the same fate as the inhabitants of the district. Now why would she have lagged behind? A lot of the time we get the picture that she just like turned around and turned to a column of salt. That's usually how it's portrayed. But what was in her heart that made her long for that place? Everything that she valued, everything she left behind, everything that once consumed her, and now she was consumed. Does Lot's wife serve as some sort of warning for us to help us understand what it would look like if we continue to linger in the wickedness and the sin of this world? Remember, Lot was considered righteous by God, and that's why he was allowed to, to be separated and spared from the destruction of God's wrath. He wasn't considered righteous because of any good that he was doing. I mean, he was making a lot of poor choices, and his attitude really stunk. And we see that throughout the story of how lazy he is and how he lingered in that place of sin himself, to the point that the angels had to forcefully take him, his daughters, and his wife out of the city. Friends, consider for yourselves today. Are you lingering in this place of wickedness and sin? 
Or are you allowing yourself to be set apart and holy because God sees you as righteous in Christ? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, So flee the passions of youth, and along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. Yeshua himself says in the book of Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, that he is the one who searches minds and hearts, and that he will give to each of you what your deeds deserve. Verses 27 to 29 seem a little out of place because all of a sudden, Avraham is brought back into the picture. And we see that he gets up early in the morning and he stands before Adonai and he looks out toward Sodom and Morah and he sees smoke rising up from the entire plain like smoke from a furnace. Did God remember their agreement? Was Avraham sure that Lot made it out okay? We don't know. We're not told. But verse 29 focuses on what God does. It says that God remembered Avraham and he sent Lot out. That means that God paid attention to Avraham's plea. He knew what was on his heart. He knew the compassion that he had for his nephew. And God spared him. This reminds me of what's written in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For Adonai keeps his eyes on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of Adonai is against those who do evil. Friends, if we are truly in Christ, and we're right with God, and we're righteous in his eyes, we could be certain that he hears our prayer, and he remembers, he pays attention. If there's anybody that you're concerned for, for their salvation for their relationship with God, so that they could know who God is? Friends, pray for them. God hears the prayers of the righteous. He pays attention. Amen? All right, let's wrap up this study. We're looking at verse 30 now, and we see that Lot went up from Zor, and he lived in the hills. And why did he leave this place that God had prepared for him? Well, it says that he was afraid. He was afraid to stay there. So he takes his two virgin daughters and they go live in a cave. And we see that the firstborn says to the younger one, well, listen, dad's getting old and there isn't a man on earth to come and do the deed with us. You know, how are we ever going to become mothers and perpetuate life? You know, like this is what we're supposed to do. In all fairness, they probably believed that they were the only people left on earth, kind of like what happened with Noah and his family. Because all that they had witnessed was this cataclysmic event with destruction all around them and everything was laid waste. Now we know that some time had passed already because the daughter said that Lot was old and they had wine. So they were able to cultivate some wine and let it ferment enough that it would become alcoholic and they would be able to get their father drunk. And that was the daughter's plan. She said, listen, dad's getting old. Let's get him drunk. Let's have sex with him so that we can have descendants for him. I believe that they thought that what they were doing was a very honorable thing. They may have had the right motive. So the firstborn daughter goes ahead and carries out the plan. And she was successful. She turns to her younger sister and says, listen, I did it. Why don't you go? And it's your turn. And then she goes in and she does that. And... And both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their own father. The older daughter was the first to bear a child, whom she named Moab. Then the younger produced a son named Ammon. And these verses and others in Deuteronomy and Psalms, they attest to the kinship of the people of Moab and Ammon to Lot. 
sometimes Moab and Ammon are referred to as brothers. But that was just a common way of speaking as, you know, sometimes Christians speak of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we don't have direct familial bonds. In Deuteronomy, these two nations are actually singled out as being those that the Israelites were not allowed to intermarry with, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And sadly, this is the last bit of information that we really know about Lot. Like, that's the final chapter of his life. He got drunk, was taken advantage of by his daughters, had sex with them, and produced descendants. Descendants that the Lord wanted to keep separated from his own chosen people, who were produced through Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here we have another pattern to notice. Avraham and Lot went their separate ways, because their herds and flocks grew too large, and there was constant hostility between the two groups. Now Lot chose the way of the world and went to live with the people that he obviously preferred and identified with in Sodom. And Abraham chose to stay identified to Jehovah God and to stay separate and remain in the promised land, Canaan. So there's division, election, and separation. And when Lot produced heirs and descendants, primarily the Ammonites and the Moabites, we find out that those heirs and descendants of his were divinely ordained to remain divided and separated from God's chosen people. I'd like to encourage you to take time to look over this passage again and ask God what lessons there are for you. While preparing this study, I looked into 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-10, to 10, where it talks a little bit more about how Lot was righteous by grace through faith in Jehovah, but there was spiritual weakness in him. And when I read that, it kind of really hit me, you know, it almost discouraged me in a way. But that was because I was focusing on Lot. And sometimes I focus too much on myself. And I wonder, well, I trust God. I, I believe in him, but yeah, I still struggle. Yes, there's still a spiritual weakness in me. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, to it says that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the wicked until the day of judgment while continuing to punish them, especially those who follow their old natures in lust for filth and despise authority. I thank God that in my weakness, He's still strong. I thank God that I can trust Him and depend on Him for everything, that when I'm facing temptation that He always provides a way out. I know that I need a God that will still rescue me from myself, from the poor choices that I make. I need a God that will continue to, to warn me and, and rescue me. We all need that. But the question is, are we going to follow his guidance? Are we going to listen to his instructions? Are we going to heed his warnings? Friends, there is coming a time when the whole world will be destroyed where God says that time's up, I'm going to take my kids home with me, but the wicked will no longer be here. Friends, is God the authority in your life? Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? Lord God, I want to pray a special prayer for every person that's studying here with me today and listening to this podcast. I want to pray that whatever moral weakness that they still have, that you would strengthen them, Lord God, that you would warn them and rescue them, that you would provide a way out. And there might be somebody saying today, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Hear our prayers, O Lord. We love you, we trust you, and we know that you hear the prayers of the righteous. 
Lord God, remember us. We cling to your promises and we thank you for your faithfulness to us, O Lord. You alone we worship. You alone are worthy of all honor, all glory, all praise. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's Access Learn study. It's always a joy to be able to get around God's word and learn more about his plan and his purposes and about his amazing love and his promises. I'm so excited to see where he'll lead us next. May the grace of our Lord Yeshua and the shalom of God our Father be with all.